Oh, looks like some sort of black hole up ahead. <sighs> I guess we better reverse away from that. Yeah, I'll contact the control room immediately. You know, the one that's 20 floors above us. I know how many floors above us the control room is, Terry. I just like being precise. Hello, Control. This is Terry from the Deep Space Scanning Array located 20 floors below you. Hello. Everything all right up there, Control? Terry. Are you having a stroke or something, Control? You'd better contact the medical bay 20 floors below us. Mm, now who's being precise? Get on with it. Fine. Hello, medbay. How can I help you? Pardon? I said, how can I help you? I think a chipmunk has got into the med bay and is pretending to be the medic. Goddamn chipmunks. I knew we couldn't trust them. Hello, can you hear me? Please state your emergency. We're on to you, chipmunk. It sounds like you're having a stroke. <sighs> Let's see what Control says. Well, they're no help. I'll go down and speak to the chipmunk. See if she can't be reasoned with. Good idea. Won't be a moment. I'm back. Did you forget something? What do you mean? I've been gone for three hours. I was just helping the doc with something. Everyone appears to be having a stroke on the top 40 floors of the spaceship. Really? Yeah. Those guys at the top have got it worse, poor sods. So the medic wasn't a chipmunk? No, I think the chipmunk must have wandered off before I got there. Is everything alright up there now? Damn it. The chipmunk's back. Clever girl. Right, that's it. I'm going up to the control room. See if I can't get this thing reversed away from the black hole. Be careful. There'll be a lot of stroke victims up there. I will. Won't be a sec. 30 years later. Well, that didn't take long. Terry, is that you? My eyes aren't what they used to be. Helen, what happened to you? You look really tired. Does this have something to do with the chipmunk? It's good to see you one more time before I die. Uh. Ellen? Ellen! She's dead! Oh man, I'm having such a bad day! Unless, maybe there is a way to save her. I could replace some of her internal organs with machines. Maybe the chipmunk will help me. She seems to be medically trained. Hang on, Ellen. There's still hope. There's still hope! Hello everyone and welcome to The Last Ood One Out. My name is Chris Sigma and I am so excited. I seem to start so many episodes that way, but I really am to talk about this episode, The Doctor Falls, which is uh, the finale of this season. Uh, a wonderful season. I think everyone will agree. No, everyone will not agree. That is the nature of fandom. No one agrees on anything. But I think it was great. And I'm really excited to talk about it. And I'm doubly excited to talk about it because I have two amazing guests this week. There's going to be three of us. Firstly, may I introduce Stephen Davidson. Hi. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, so polite. Canadian politeness. Wow. <laughs> and also, I have Zara Swanton. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I am so pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. Guys, you are already the most polite guest we've ever had on the Ucast. Like, I'm just copying him. <laughs> uh, we also have my wife and, you know, life partner, Laura, she won't be staying for the whole episode, but she is here at the moment. We are sharing a microphone. Yes, hello. I am the most polite. I am the one that says polite things. Good day to you, sir. And things like that. Um, and I just wanted to come down to say that I thought it was absolutely chuffing brilliant. So, um, yeah, I hope you include that somewhere in your review. Yes, you're in this episode saying that. So we have included it. Oh, so it's in there. Yes. All right, then. I'm not going to delete this bit and then say later on, Oh, Laura said it was absolutely chuffing brilliant. All right. Well, anyway, it's lovely to see everybody who is here. 
and lovely to be here with everyone who is not. Does that make sense? No. no. Mm. Well, anyway, uh, I'll see you all later. Bye-bye. Do you want to say one thing you liked about the episode before you went? Everything. Wow. I can't. We're so, I mean, that's the, that's basically what a normal episode is like, guys. <laughs> so now you know the kind of level you've got to get to. I feel pretty equipped. <laughs> Bye, Laura. Bye. Um, before we start, I was wondering if I could ask a little bit about your fandom journey. What brings you to this point of appearing on the UK's fifth or sixth most popular Doctor Who podcast with four hosts or more? I mean, it's been a very exciting journey. Um, this is my first time on the podcast and I'm very, very excited about it. Uh, I think a lot of British people grew up with Doctor Who, but unfortunately I'm just slightly in the wrong age group to have grown up with it in Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, it's quite popular overseas now, but it wasn't a decade or two ago. So, uh, I only started watching when I moved over here and thought, oh, I should acclimatize myself to this culture. Uh, and Doctor Who was the most fun bit that I found. That so is I so smart. So I dove in. Using Doctor Who to acclimatise to being British. Yes. Fantastic. And you, Zara? I didn't quite grow up watching it. I saw a few of the Tom Baker reruns uh, on the BBC when I was very, very small. And only because I recognised him from an even older series of uh, The Silver Chair. Mm. Do you remember that? Well, it was on video in the library and I got that once and me and my friend both fancied The Prince with the Beard. So uh, we watched it so many times. I saw Tom Baker on TV. I was like, oh. I know him. So I watched that a lot. And then obviously when it came back with Christopher Eccleston, everyone started watching it. We all started watching it at the same time. And it was quite nice to have started from that point and grown with it. Obviously going to a Welsh university, you get like double privileges because Doctor Who's Welsh. So we had one of the production team come with like all of the Doctor Who props and set them all up at the university. And we all got to play with them because we were in the theatre department. Man, I'm so jealous now. So I have handled the uh, book of spoilers. I have worn Kylie Minogue's helmet. I have played with the sonic screwdriver. I'm an uber nerd, but it was so cool. Oh, that's super cool. That is really cool, yeah. I mean, cool within the context of this podcast, but still super cool. <laughs> um, so as I said earlier on, we are going to review the final episode of this season, The Doctor Falls. Uh, written by Stephen Moffat in his penultimate writing job on the show, one presumes, because it seems like, well, Russell T. Davis never came back, but I guess that isn't a hard and fast rule. I mean, hasn't come back yet. I would really like an RTD episode, a single RTD episode within a bigger season, I think would be amazing. Glorious. Yeah, 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 absolutely. They, we should... They should somehow establish that, especially with Chibnall taking over. Oh, no, that's uh, that's negative. No, I'm sure he'll be great. I, he I hear Do you know what, though? I'm actually quite excited about Chibnall because, I mean, if you compare the two side by side, Stephen Moffat and Chris Chibnall, generally Chris Chibnall has a better... Um, First name. Yes. Mm. Track record of uh, writing 3D women. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm true. quite excited, like Broadchurch... Glorious. Uh, Kiss Me Like You Mean It was a play you did years ago. Glorious. And if you look at Stephen Moffat, you've got sort of uh, joking apart and coupling and... Okay, um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I will reserve judgment. I think that is a really good... Uh, you, you've made a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's going to be like most of my points today. <laughs> sure. No, that's, that's great. Um, I also think that perhaps Chris Chibnall isn't as showy a writer, right? He's not this show-off writer. He might actually um, bring in more people who are interesting. He might not take the lion's share of the writing in the same way. Possibly. I mean, like, Stephen Moffat is so high-concept driven. So things like Silence in the Library when there were standalone episodes or two-part episodes were so brilliant. And then as a series, there's a lot of concept going on in a, you know, a lot of concept going on. And I think that's maybe a good place to start with this episode because last week I was talking to Tom Webster and his final point was, I can see no way that Moffat is going to be, be able to deliver on all of the elements that he's set up in this finale in a satisfying and unhurried way. Um, I actually think that he did deliver on most of the elements of last week and it didn't seem too hurried. I mean, definitely come back to me on it. But I I actually thought this episode 
um, unspooled in quite a in quite a nice way. I think the pacing was actually pretty good. I would totally agree. I think this last episode was really, really satisfying because it was so character driven, and they spent so much time uh, unfolding uh, really a number of the different characters that even if not all of the plot was as intricately put together or well explained as other episodes, uh, it was just compelling to watch all the way through. So I'm sold. I'd definitely say the, the character development was, was there and the performances were just beautiful. They were absolutely exceptional from every single member of the cast. But like you say, the, there were plot points that weren't quite explained and so there were definitely moments where you're like okay why wait no hang on so when I was trying to make notes on the episode as I have done I've got about four or five pages here um you find that you're writing one but then two or three other things have happened in that time so you never actually finish a note which is not why you're watching an episode but I found it as similarly difficult to quite keep track the three times that I watched it (laughs) Um, I should say at this point, I didn't say, uh, I've told our guests, but not you, dear listeners, uh, that I've thrown away the three things and one bad thing concept for this week, just because there's so many things I want to talk about. Um, So for this, the final one, we're not going to do that. I might play the jingles because they're fun, but that won't, it won't mean anything. They'll just be in the show for no reason. (laughs) Three things that we liked. I want to talk about bill i just thought the dichotomy between cyber bill and internal bill was just beautiful and it was laden with pathos and then at moments there was absolute pathos like it was so sardonic she was able to keep playful and and keep that inner light even though she was completely helpless and hopeless and it was just phenomenal acting on her part i loved the idea of it the the moment with the mirror was chilling and stunning at the same time. I'm so on board with that. I feel like I've been in love with Bill since the first episode uh, of this season. And this really gave her uh, the time and story to uh, really show us some more stuff. Basically, I feel like the actress is so good. Uh, I'm really pleased that she was given space to do that. I am also super on board with all your comments, I think there was some really brilliant use of the camera. Uh, there's this great bit where uh, you see her hand come up and it's the rubber gloved hand. And yeah. then it's just the rubber gloved hand. And then the camera comes back and it's swapped between her face and the cyber face all in a single, what seems like a single shot, which is just beautiful and subtle. There's a, an incredible bit where the master is trying to get under her skin and, and, and mocking her. And then you see the Cyberman go something like, uh, you cannot hurt me. And then it just swipes across to Pearl Mackie's face crying. And it's it's such an emotional gut punch. It's really brilliantly done. I am not upset, I think it was. Yeah, I just... No, it's absolutely that. And you, you are so completely with her. And you find yourself, when you're watching anything delivered by Pearl Mackie, you imagine it right back in the Cyberman voice. Right. And, oh yeah, it, it just, it's mind-blowing. It, it was such a good idea of all the many, many concepts. That one really hit and it worked so, so well. It delivered so fully on all the promises for that character as mm-hmm. well, which is really pleasing because I feel like Doctor Who always has this thing where the whole series is leading up to the finale and it felt like Bill's arc fit really comfortably going right back to episode one. Uh, with the pilot, I I just loved it. I think they did play fair with the ending reveal because in that first episode, she said that she would Heather said that she would stay with Bill in her tears, and then there was the mid-season bit where she said, "I don't think these are my tears." And mm. then even last episode, there was a bit where the Doctor said a Cyberman should not be able to cry. So it's not as if. They didn't give us the hints that we would be able to work it out if we were paying attention. So it wasn't one of those Doctor Who episodes where suddenly something comes in at the last minute and they hadn't laid the groundwork for it. No, that's true. It's sort of evocative of like Bad Wolf from right, right back at the beginning. Sort of the stuff that Rusty Davis did really, really well. That story Mm. arc. Um, Yeah, it was... I absolutely loved that Heather came back and it was sort of this beautiful allegory for afterlife until her hair got dry and then they went and skipped off into space so now we don't know 
where they are in the world, but we sort of wish them well on their journey. And that's beautiful and lovely. And it was quite a passionate kiss between two women that was not sensationalised, I don't think, in any way. I felt like it fit in really nicely. And it's something that you don't see very much, I would say, at Saturday, on a Saturday at six o'clock or wherever, whenever it went out. Uh, I thought they did that really well. And I think it was earned and nice. Just having watched so many... I don't know, sitcoms and things that are meant to be family friendly where the gay characters are there, but they sort of keep each other at arm's length the entire time or something like Modern Family where they never seem like they're in love in any way. Uh, I just thought having a bit of passion in there was cool. No, super cool. I'm just, I'm completely on your way. It was just a mirror, good. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm saying exactly the same thing as you. I just, I loved her character right from the beginning. You know, she's in a kitchen, she's cooking chips. That doesn't mean she hasn't got a brain on her. I just think everyone really needs to take a step back and realise that the job that you're doing is in no way a correlation to how bright you are. And she was the very brightest. She was an absolute supernova in that sense. The connections that she could make and the empathy that she had for all people was just incredible. And the fact that even as a Cyberman and even with everything stripped from her and she couldn't even contact her own skin sort of thing, and she was still able to make a joke about the fact that uh, she likes girls her own age by Doctor. <laughs> yeah, that was so funny. And that, that's probably Moffat making fun of himself, mm. I think, because everyone's always... You, so like the character in Sherlock, remind me of the name? Do either of you know the, the one that Sherlock falls in love with? Irene Adler. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so there was... I, I read a lot online about how she was this brilliant character, but in the end it turns out that all the, her most brilliant plans were actually Moriarty in the shadows. And so Moffat has this thing where he creates what seems like a strong woman to a point and then it turns out it was all for a man same with river song really you know we yes. found out she got her doctorate because she wanted to meet the doctor so essentially mm. so he he does this he sets he he gets to a certain point and then spoils it and i think i re- honestly think that last line it, he was like oh i'm gonna do it again i'm not haha uh, i honestly think he except they did with missy <laughs> Sure. Wow. Oh, okay. Let, well, let's go on. Let's go on to that then. <laughs> so this is my thing with Missy. I think Michelle Gomez has had this brilliant, brilliant character that, and she's clearly studied John Sim. She's got the master in there, and it's just brilliant. And what she's been doing, brilliant, and what she was doing in the last episode was stunning. It was in a masterclass. But script-wise, you can't ever tell what her motivation is because she flip-flops so violently and so I was asking myself is this classic Moffat is this because she's an untrustworthy character is she very very conflicted is this sort of laying the foundation for look this is why we can't have any female time lords I just couldn't quite tell I felt like the whole master misty missy thing was only tangentially related to the plot of the episode like most of that could have just been uh, standalone without those characters at all. But um, I really liked their little thing that they had anyway because I felt like it gave a really nice depth and a very fitting end to the the Master Missy character. Um, I loved the dynamic between them and I loved... Yeah. It was it was very intricate and that sort of... That absolute self-love, mm. especially from the John Sim Master. self-love. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. And that's what was just so fantastic about it. I just wish Missy had been a little bit clearer because the master mm. was so, so clear. John Sim's character was so clear. Mm. Clear, but insane. In Following on from the little... last time we saw him, though, I think. Yeah. I'm going to push back a little bit. I feel like right at the last moment, she is very definite that this is the moment that she's going to stand with the Doctor and that it wasn't a ruse. Like at that last moment, she turns to leave. She is going to, for the first time in what, tens of thousands of years that these two have been backwards and forwards. She's like, this is the moment we are going to stand with him and we're going to do the right thing. Mm. And that's what prompts the earlier incarnation mm. to to kill her and not just force a regeneration, to absolutely end the timeline. Mm. So for, for me, I feel like it did read that that way, that she had made a decision. So here's my question about this. If they finish each other off definitively... How did a scary lady push him up against a wall and tell him to bring the spare part for the TARDIS? I think he is still going to regenerate. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. I think we don't... We, we. I think that's definitely open. Yeah. 
Because as I say, otherwise, there wouldn't be a Missy at all, I guess. Yeah. Um, she says something about, I'll give you enough. I've, I've been precise. I'm going to mm. give you enough blood, essentially, to get back to your TARDIS. Oh, quick point about the chameleon, <laughs> uh, the de- dematerialization circuit. It's the same prop as the one used by the third doctor when he gets his dematerialization circuit back. Oh, that's That's fun. pretty cool. That is super cool. Yeah. Sorry. Back to the point. But, uh, <laughs> but I hadn't noticed that, though, but there are so many little callbacks to earlier things that it's nice to have noticed another one. I loved that at the end, especially. It just showed such respect to the whole, not even just the the new Stephen Moffat doctors, but all of the new sect, all of the old sect. It was, yeah, I thought it was a lovely mark of respect to just check in with all of those points along the way. I wanted to see Strax in there, though. <laughs> I feel like yeah. they should have put Strax in, and not just because we all know Dan quite well. We, <laughs> I feel like, you know... He's earned a place as a new season companion. Yeah. Maybe he just didn't say doctor. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, do we do we have anything else about that master, the master relationship? I, I just, I thought it was really interesting and a lovely end to that arc. And I'm enjoying the mental image of all the fans at home just feverishly writing really uh, explicit fan fiction about them right now. <laughs> Master slash fic, mm. which was, if I'm right, whenever you do um, shipping stuff, you conflate the two names together. Mm. So this one would just be Master. A mastery. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you're good at that. Uh, the other thing I just want to say is that we have had multiple Time Lord stories before, but it's always been the Doctor, and the Doctor mm. is upright and gracious and good. So there's only certain jokes you can make. They can kind of annoy each other a bit, but at the end of the day, he is a decent person. Mm. So it was really cool to have two fundamentally not decent people. So you could do the self-love stuff. You could do the, of course the Master kills themselves. Of course, mm. <laughs> that's the only explanation. Because they're evil and self-interested. And even one aspect of them is self-interested in just that aspect, which is just so fun and clever. Um, and yeah, so I was I thought it was done quite well. I, I liked it myself. And probably actually the only people, I mean, I, I'm counting the Master and Missy as, as two separate people just for this point, is that they would be the only people worthy of killing to be allowed to kill the, themselves. Yeah, because mm. no one else would be able to. No one else is clever enough. Uh, um, Stephen, what would you like us to chat about? Um, it was kind of a small thing, but thinking back over the episode, the one thing that kind of sticks out in my head as an interesting thing was uh, the apple that he handed to that small child. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's always got this, no, I don't believe in guns type thing, this uh, sweeping Doctor Who anti-war sentiment, which is lovely. Um, but then he gives the the small child the apple to throw, um, and calls it mankind's oldest weapon. And then she throws it, and it causes exactly as much destruction <laughs> as the gun would have anyway. Um, I'm not quite sure what that means, besides that I guess we're just going to keep repeating our own mistakes uh, forever. But it it stuck out uh, as a very Doctor Who-layered thing that they'd sort of popped in there not a soldier with a gun a child with an apple yeah an apple in the biblical story represents knowledge Mm. right and i think that's really interesting that knowledge can be used to protect and it can be used to destroy and that you know the apple doing that was i don't know maybe that's too grand a metaphor no i don't know i read i read it the same way i read it as a biblical one but i've taken a slightly different message from it because i think he's he called it humanity or mankind's first weapon and he's handed her an apple that's a Mm. flaming grenade yeah and it's and it's a little girl and so and he's said specifically tempting isn't it Mm. so it's it's that that temptation it's the original sin he's given mankind their original sin Mm. gosh that is deep and (laughs) and at the end of it all all of these things are just theater anyway the guns Mm. and the apple because it's actually nardole with his laptop activating Mm. exhaust vents all over the place Mm. uh so it's just to persuade the cybermen that they have much greater weapons presumably they went back and were like they have apples that explode (laughs) and an entire orchard we're in trouble (laughs) that has more like my dalek voice but um that's, I guess, the idea behind that. Yeah. 
Um, I agree that there are parts of this script that are very muddled. Uh, I think the performances save it. Mm. But there are also parts of this script that are some of the most beautiful writing that I've ever seen in Doctor Who. And I think that just be kind speech to the two masters that Peter Capaldi does is maybe his finest bit of acting in all three seasons. Really beautiful sentiment. And just the Doctor, his most human, his most desperate and his most brave. And I loved it so much. And you can probably hear that I'm welling up just thinking about that sequence. I thought it was a almost perfect bit of television, uh, that bit. Uh, so that's my thing. And I think littered throughout the script actually are some really beautifully written lyrical lines. Um, I, th- I feel like in his last few episodes, Moffat has said, right, I'm not doing Sherlock. I'm going, this is my last chance to have an effect on this incredible, sprawling, brilliant program that I love. Um, and I feel like he's written some excellent scripts in the last, um, in this season. And I, I've heard from a very good source that the Christmas special continues to be incredibly magical and brilliant. Um, someone has said that to me who has seen it. <laughs> so uh, I am very excited that this trend will continue for one more, at least. I feel like all of the major characters in this episode got at least one really nicely written chunk of stuff to say. Um, and I won't quote them all back, but I feel like that was really, I agree, that was the strength of the script in the episode was um, that the writing really played to the strengths of the actors and of the whole series because all of the big moving statements were so on point with what Doctor Who stands for. It showed a lot of love for the series as a whole. It was like Moffat's swan song in a way. He's written lines that are meant to be remembered, that are meant to stay with you and to be taken away. So the kindness speech, which don't judge me, I felt when I saw that the way I felt the very first time I saw the PM speech in Love Actually, it was that sort of yes moment. (laughs) Britain! (laughs) Quite. and there are several of those lines that just need to be kept. And one of them is from right back at the beginning uh, where he said, always read the comments because one day there'll be an army. And that is just the most succinct way of saying, wake up and be aware. None of these people are going anywhere. You need to stand up and fight. Maybe that's what this war is. It, mm. Read the comments. They will be an army. The war of knowledge. Yeah. With I- the apple of knowledge. I like it. <laughs> There was a really simple line that completely floored me, which was um, just Bill saying, she says something like, as a friend, I don't want to, I don't want to live if I'm not me or something like that. Yeah. Which is very clever. Firstly, I loved that she called him her friend. And in the last episode, she actually um, corrects Missy from companion to friend. Mm. So it's very important that they are friends and they do feel like friends. And secondly, in what is what turns out to be a regeneration story, at least the start of one, this idea that it's when it's not you is that actually, you know, these doctors are dying. These each incarnation feels like a death. Mm. And I thought it was really nice to have that put into the mouth of the companion, the friend, mm. like that, because the doctor knows very well what it's like to die and be someone different. Uh, I just thought that was really clever. And we didn't know it was a regeneration story of that. So we just began to suspect because of the regeneration in energy mm. leaking out of his bandaged hand. But I just thought so clever. It's somewhere, he's really thought it through and everything builds on everything else. And I think now that Bill has regenerated in her own way, maybe she, more than a lot of other companions, is qualified to refer to herself as his friend and kind of imply that she's his equal in that way. That's very interesting. I hope we see her more. Yeah, I think we will. I think because she was, I think the character of Bill, I am, this is an assumption, but it seems like she was a stopgap. Moffat knew that the new team was going to come in. They were going to create a new Doctor, probably a new TARDIS, a new companion. It was going to be a new start. So he's, I need a companion just for one season. Mm. And and it could be just the throwaway companion. But we, we, got, we got Bill. And mm. Bill is this incredible character who I don't think I've seen anything bad said about or written about. I mean, I don't go into the darker parts of the internet where people might be super mean about people. But generally i think people are really positive about that mm-hmm. character 
uh, and it's such a gift to have had that see that arc character arc. I can't I can't imagine that she's not going to river song it and become a character that is actually much more part of the mythos than was fir- she was first conceived to be. Mm. I would hope so. I th- I'm going to put it out there. I think that actually she is my favourite friend companion ever. I, just the the thought and the place where she originated from was just beautiful. There was another line actually that I've that's really stuck out at me, and it was where the doctor says, "Stand with me. It's all I ever wanted." And it just seemed to encapsulate perfectly the dynamic between the master and the doctor, and then. Pff, Latterly, the uh, Missy and the Doctor. All they ever want, actually both of them, I feel, is is to find that thing that connects them as the only two Time Lords left. And they can never quite do it. And it just seemed to completely encapsulate that dynamic. And to have the Doctor relating to not one but two people completely mm. on his level, completely his equal, was a fascinating thing to watch, I think. Mm. I also like Missy's reply. She, she says me too, doesn't she? After yeah. He says that, which is really nice. Oh, gosh, so much emotion. Okay, so here's my question, right? And I think it sort of gets explained, but then it sort of negates the thing that happened before it. If the doctor is changing the requisite number of heartbeats to be recognised as a life form from one to two, why are they still targeting humans? He then later says, or within a matter of seconds, he says, I am expanding the definition of humanity. Now, Purely thinking in programming terms, if you are coding that, that is not an ad- that is an addition. That is not a change. <laughs> so how does it work? Why? 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 <laughs> and that's all I have to say on that. It I have no me. idea, but I love your question. <laughs> yeah, same here. I'm beautifully nerdy. Well done. <laughs> I, I, I took it as a complete ignoramus uh, that it was like up to two hearts. You know, there is a human is anything from zero to two hearts. Three hearts, not human, but two or one heart. <laughs> human um so yeah i think i took the expand the definition line and just hung on to that one mm. even i think it... that's the way to do it because i saw i saw someone else comment why wouldn't you just make the definition zero hearts and i'm like well i've had to think about this a lot but if it was zero hearts then that's everything that's not just human life forms that that's every rock every table sort of thing they're just coming for everything they're going to obliterate everything oh my gosh so rather cyber than a reduction rocks. that's everything cyber rocks <laughs> that is the name of our new festival Cool. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, g- good point. Uh, one which Steve and I both were not able to answer. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be someone somewhere out there who can have this discussion with me, but it's just blown my mind literally on the train over here while I was really trying to work it out. <laughs> um, we haven't talked about Nardole much yet. And I really liked that he sort of, we finally saw him fully redeem himself and uh, do the correct thing in the Doctor Who universe and decide to stay and take care of the people. Mm. It's It reminded me of Strax, actually. So I feel like they're very similar characters and I'd have loved both of them to be in that montage, as you were saying earlier about the companions. It's really interesting with him, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's not spelt out, but no. the Cyber Army is coming for him. Mm-hmm. And it might take 50 or 100 years. Mm-hmm. We know that his... Uh, he he'll last that long. Mm. He's he hasn't got a human lifespan. Mm. They will come for him at some point. It's not actually a super happy ending. He's just delayed the inevitable. He has, but he he decided to uh, take the harder road, and mm-hmm. he got less time and character development than other people this season. But it was really nice that even he arrived somewhere in this episode. Yeah, yeah, and and I, we mentioned before that he he started out as completely a comedy mm. creation with no legs to run on to become, well literally killed <laughs> so no legs at all but he's done a great job Matt Lucas has done a, and I've always thought Matt Lucas was actually a really good actor uh, he's obviously known as a comedian but mm. I think he's got chops and. And I really like the way that very slowly through the season we've seen the steel there uh, in Nardole. And, and it pays off really nicely, I think, in this episode. I thought his performance was absolutely phenomenal. It, it was tender and it was true and it was very, very beautiful. And the I think you can really see it come out where, where he's caring for Bill, someone he's completely disregarded throughout the series as, as human. 
you know, pointless, redundant, very expendable because of very short lifespan. And to see him care for Bill and and to care for all of these humans and the the way he had to care in order to be able to do what he did was just brilliantly, brilliantly portrayed. And like you say, he's known for comedy. We're used to seeing him in comedy. We saw a bit more maybe when he did uh, Les Mis, there was a bit more acting in there. But either way, like seeing him do drama is just incredible, like it is with Michelle Gomez, who, again, we never get to see doing these beautiful drama roles. Uh, I saw in her in Taming of the Shrew at the RSC uh, when she was so good. Um, so I guess... Yeah, I, I never thought that actually from a televisual point of view, maybe she hasn't done those dramatic roles. Uh, but I, I'd already seen her be mind-blowingly brilliant on stage. Uh, so I guess that kind of teed me up for it. Mm. But yeah, and it is great. Doctor Who gives you a chance to stretch out in so many different ways if you're a recurring character. Mm. Uh, yeah, amazing. Um, and I loved his last night line as well. I'm never going to find the words. Not his last line to the doctor and yeah. Bill. Yeah, I thought that was a really great one of those moments you were talking about, Stephen, which was just one of those kind of defining moments for a character. Um, I can't believe it's taken me this long to mention the end of the episode <laughs> because I didn't know. I had not been spoiled. Apparently it was in the tabloid press a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't see that article. So it was a complete surprise to me. I had no idea. And such a brilliant bit of casting to, I, I feel like they probably knew, establish him as William Hartnell in a docudrama. And then, of course, then we can accept him as the first Doctor. It sidesteps the controversy of replacing a dead actor, which has already happened once with Richard Herndill in The Five Doctors. So perhaps, OK, not so much of a contro controversy. But even so, how brilliant, how brilliant to have... I've talked bef before how this Doctor is the first Doctor of a new regeneration cycle, right? He was given a new regeneration cycle at the end mm. of Matt Smith's tenure. He is a new first Doctor. He's the same sort of age. Uh, he has a kind of grouchy... He's a funky, modern remix of the first Doctor. Mm. So how amazing to have a Christmas special with the the youngest and the oldest Doctor that we've seen Um in terms of the Doctor's timeline being together. Uh, I just, it's so exciting. And I guess with the snowy planet, we're probably talking that this Doctor has just met the Cybermen in the 10th planet and is going to be regenerating as well. So we have two Doctors, both very alike in some ways, very different in other ways, both about to regenerate, both having just fought the Cybermen. Oh, it's so perfect. I can't, it's, it's great. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> it is. It's so exciting. And like you say, like the casting of David Bradley as William Hartnell is just so perfect because you barely blink. He walks on and it's so clear, you know, exactly who he is, where he's come from, what he's meant to be. And even if you're a relative newcomer to Doctor Who, I imagine there won't have been a way to escape William Hartnell completely. You will still understand what that moment is. I, yeah, I thought that was so well played. And it, like you say, it's a very, very exciting thing to be able to see probably the most similar Doctors there are going through the same point in their timeline mm. together and compare and contrast, as I assume will happen in the snow. Yeah, I, I've never seen uh, any of the original series of Doctor Who, and I'm still really excited about that. Just from a character point of view, it makes so much sense, and I'm really excited to see where that goes. So. It's funny because despite the appearance, that is the Doctor as a child almost. Yeah. It's the Doctor as a young man. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, pretty interesting. Um, also, we'll get to see the first Doctor's TARDIS. Oh, <laughs> go and sit, go into the old control room. That will be really fun. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see, I suppose, like you say, the youngest and the oldest Doctor, and and if we can see that that development there through the life cycles. I mean, they were very very clear in Russell T Davis's time between Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant. The, the change, the differences and, and what was learned throughout those three or four series. And it'd be interesting to see the extreme of that. And if maybe actually you've gone around sort of full circle because he's just come from a war. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the doctor, when he, when he first left, uh, so in, 
in the very second episode, I think it's the second episode, we see the doctor pick up a rock in order to brain a caveman. <laughs> that sort of like, so he he wasn't a virtuous character right from the beginning. He learned through his exposure, I mean, probably to the companions, really, to his friends that he travels with. So this is this is a young, brash doctor. This mm. is a very different character. He's not um, selfless at this stage at all. Um, so that's really interesting. I wonder if he remembers himself as that, though, or if he's now... Because there's this whole Doctor thing of nobody in the universe could possibly understand me. Is he going to go back and meet somebody, i.e. his past self, who he thinks understands him and finds that actually, no, that's a very different person? Um, I wonder. I want to see it. Certainly enough meat for an hour-long Christmas special. Mm -hmm. And then I hope so much... I hope so much that they are able to keep the next Doctor secret. Mm. How incredible would it be on Christmas Day to just not know who's going to be at the other end of the regeneration? And I think it is possible. I think we would know by now if the BBC were planning on releasing it. Mm. I think maybe they are going to try and hold their metal. I mean, if it's in a completed form, right? Someone's seen it and said it's good then they've done all the principal photography. So if no one saw the act to go in for the regeneration scene, that they might have done it. I would be, I would be amazing if they, if they regenerate and we don't know, and it turns out to be, you know, any combination of non-white, non-male, I'm just going to lose it with happiness. I can't <laughs> yes. just really want it to happen so much. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed. I hope so. This last season has been great for that. I mean, I feel like Doctor Who generally, they're trying, aren't they? They're trying, bless. Um, uh, Bill was such a step forward as a major character and an interesting and well-rounded character who was really, really self-assured um, and really, really clever and a brilliant actress who was just also uh, gay and a person of color with natural hair and everything, who was in no way smitten with the doctor and considered herself his equal. I feel like just that one character, um, for me, earns them quite a lot of credit, although I'll still be disappointed if it's a straight white male. Um, they've tried over the, the years. They've had a good number of sort of peripheral... <laughs> characters i want to love doctor who so badly i will give them credit for every tiny little bit part <laughs> that I, I will get excited there's been more female writers in this season than there yeah. was in the last three or four seasons that's not good but at least as well, you say it's a tiny step in the right direction and one of them was an, a classic writer as well she's the only one to have written for the classic series and the new series really amazing She's the only one that has ever done that. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. I think my dream for the next regeneration, I know we're skipping steps here, but no, fine. I would love not only to not know who the Doctor is, I want to not know it's coming. I'm looking for like a mid-season regeneration that comes completely out of nowhere. And we almost thought a couple of episodes ago it was going to happen. I was like, if you do this, this will be amazing and I will stop bashing Moffat forever. Oh, no, okay. But then they shot in the middle I was like oh okay that's that's heartbreaking but also I did not see that coming that's incredible which they kind of took away a little bit but again we wish her well on her lovely space journey but if we could just not see it coming it would be magic it's so hard in this day and age I imagine to keep anything secret um but yeah we're all looking for that I think mm -hmm. that danger of like well the doctor could die any week rather than well it's not the end of a season so he's going to be okay she's going to be okay <laughs> mm. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm I could talk about this episode for another three or four hours, but I'm afraid <laughs> we are getting to a point that we do need to finish up. But are there any last things that you really want to, you know, chat about, highlight, applaud? I am very, very excited for Christmas. I think they've set it up really well. I think the, the episode preceding this one was probably the best one in years this was very, very good. And so the next one should be phenomenal and a great way to end it all with Moffitt and with Capaldi and probably Mackie. Yeah, me too. Exactly. I, I loved it. I'm excited to see what happens. I hope the next team doesn't mess it up too much. 
and this there's is so it. much promise. We find ourselves here again, where our favourite show is having a complete overhaul: main TARDIS team, writing team, probably directors. Everything is changing again, and we've got to remind ourselves and always hold on to the fact that I think this is what has allowed this incredible program mm-hmm. to still be super relevant and popular today after over fifty years. It's only because mm. of this renewal, and it's scary. And people are going to be mean and name call and throw things around the room. But I think us true fans, and I talk to you guys, I feel like people who listen to the Ucast are true holders of the joy of Doctor Who. We just need to keep positive about it. and We need to do our best to show this fandom to be a positive, welcoming, great place because it could get quite nasty uh, if some of these changes happen. Fandom tends to eat itself a little bit. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that's my rallying call. <laughs> I wonder if that's how the doctor feels when he regenerates those different voices in his head. Yeah, who am I now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Hello again, everyone. Here is the haiku for The Doctor Falls. Masters self-defeat while unlikely tears save Bill. He meets his square one. It's Andy. Woo! It's Andy. Yeah. It's time for classic Andy. With stuff he saw inside the show that he thinks that they planned. Woo! Well, here I am recording this in what used to be the Ood attic, but is now the lovely garret where I live. For a fan that loves great Who quotes, the Doctor Falls was a treasure trove. The Doctor comes round and says, Sontarans perverting the course of human history, which is the fourth Doctor's first line. Where there's tears, there's hope, seems to take its cue from the third Doctor's final line, which is, tears, Sarah Jane? Don't cry. While there's life, there's... which he doesn't finish. But hope would end the line nicely. There's also, Bill's back in time for tea, which I recall the seventh Doctor saying in Dragonfire before setting off to find the treacherous Fartos. There's a lovely return of the idea of the Companion's flashback sequence from the Gopolis and Caves of Andrasani, which in the 80s I remember thinking was a lovely tribute to the Doctor's companions. And the return of the classic series dematerialisation circuit caused a cheer, as did the Jelly Babies! And of course, making canon every emergence of all and any Cybermen in all versions of Doctor Who while the Doctor runs through the woods defeating them was great. But I want to talk about the Tenth Planet. There's a crane shot of the Doctor lying next to the TARDIS console with his companion bending over him to his right, just like a shot at the end of the Tenth Planet before the First Regeneration. And of course, in the Tenth Planet, the First Doctor walks through the frozen landscape of Antarctica to return to the TARDIS prior to his regeneration. Is this where he meets the Twelfth Doctor? If so, it seems that at Christmas we may see the First Doctor's final adventure and perhaps an added impetus for one of his final lines. It's far from all over. Until next time, goodbye, everyone. Hey, Stephen Zara, thank you so much for being on this episode. Amazing to have you uh, to talk about such a rich, interesting episode of Doctor Who. If you at home would like to get in on the conversation, uh, please join the community, which is our Facebook listeners group, or you can email us at theoodcast at icloud.com. Or we're on Twitter, the Udcast. So uh, definitely get in touch. Um, this will be the last regular episode for a while. We will be back for the Christmas special, hopefully with all the original Uds there. That's my hope. Um, and there'll be various things. And we're going to return every time the series returns. But it's been so lovely. Uh, the response at us coming back has been really nice. We didn't know if there was anyone still out there listening who would want to listen. And it's been so incredible to get all your messages and well wishes. Um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to keep coming back now. We remembered how much we liked it. Uh, so thank you very much. And see you all soon. Cheerio. Bye bye. Oh, bye. <laughs> I was caught unawares Knocked sideways Taking hits and changing codes Around the black hole 
like a stack of dominoes To the sanctuary solar farm from the ashes down below But when she stayed behind Well, over the years just rolled away Like smoke and she walked away How am I gonna be the doctor after all this? How am I gonna be the doctor after all this? In the end, you can't outrun your former vices. Burning bright in the sun of all your bad choices. And I did the things that I did, not because I have to win. It's decent and it is kind, feel my patience wearing thin. But as the soldiers march, it was time to send the one that I loved away and as we said goodbye. For the first time, there were no words left to say. How am I gonna be the doctor after all this? How am I gonna be the doctor after all this? Oh, what would you die for? To stand before you for? Oh, what would you die for? To stand before you for? And the oh, flames burned high around as I fought to buy the time. I've oh, saved so many lives, for? but I still cannot save mine. But when I took her hand, it almost felt like I had made a friend. And as I made my stand, there were no stars left to light me. How am I gonna be the doctor after all this? How am I gonna be the doctor after all this? When I made my stand, there were no stars to light me.